You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Chapter 2. <clears throat> and Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shedem as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute, whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to stretch out the land. Or to search out the land, sorry. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order, in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you, before you when you came out of Egypt and what, did, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and to Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. You can underline that. That's an awesome phrase. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. And if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our heads. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath, that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, 
and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in her window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned and the pursuers searched, searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hand. And also, all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. <laughs> Isn't that an awesome story? I mean, it's so clear what has taken place in that story. Joshua, in his military mind, as a, as a good general, sent these two spies into the land, especially to Jericho. He really singles out Jericho because that was a city that was a strong, held city. And so he sent spies to see if this was really, you know, God had told me this land is mine, but he hasn't told me how I'm going to do it. And so I'm going to first, as a good general would, I'm going to send a couple people in and do a little reconnaissance work, right? See what's going on in the land, which exactly what he did. Let's just ask God to bless this time. Father, I thank you for your word. Father, there's, we could stop right here after reading all those verses, Father, and totally understand what it is that you have accomplished in this small chapter in your entire Bible. Father, we pray for understanding today. We pray for a challenge today, Father, as we look at this and as we study this and as we see your hand in even this life of Rahab. So, Father, bless us, we pray, as we just dive into this and see what happens in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so, across the river, across the Jordan River, is Jericho, a well-protected city. Joshua has the promise. In fact, if you looked in chapter 1, I'm sure you noticed that God repeated more than once, be strong and courageous. If God's going to give him the land, why does he have to be strong and courageous? What is the point of that? The point is that in the promise... God does not promise that it will be easy. It does not promise that you don't have to do or take some action in order to do it. But he says, be strong and courageous because if you do what I tell you to do and accomplish through all that goes on in your mind and heart, I will, everywhere you step, I will give you that land. And so that's a pretty cool promise to carry around in your pocket, put around your forehead, wherever that Joshua would carry, obviously, for the rest of his life. I will give you that land. <clears throat> so that was going to be a battle to accomplish what God had promised. What did Joe say last week? He said, faith is one thing. The Hebrews chapter 11 says faith is one thing. James says faith is one thing. But faith has to be acted upon. Faith has to lead to something, right? It's not just some blind faith where all of a sudden all the Israelites just sit, sat down and took a rest and said, God said, this land is ours, so God, go, go do it. And when it's done, we'll come in. That isn't how it works. That is, in fact, it reminds you of the Christian life. If we have to do something, Christian life is not static. In other words, we just don't sit and wait to do something. We wait for directions. We wait for God's word to tell us what to do. But after that, we do something. And that's what makes this story, to me, so meaningful is that someone as lowly as Rahab put that into practice. 
And that's why it's a story of compassion, mercy, and grace. We're to do things. I remember sitting years ago, I'm old, so I can remember back 40 years, when I was sitting in a business meeting, fairly new Christian, didn't really know a whole lot about how churches work. Um, It was a fairly good-sized church, and we were sitting in a business meeting, and they were talking about the possibility of moving, which is, we've, we've experienced that here, right? We've moved. We've gone to a different building. This church had had found some property outside of town that was probably going to allow them to grow a little bit more and to serve a little bit bigger part of the community. It was out in the country. It was a beautiful church. And so I'll never forget this one man. He's probably, well, he's probably as old as I am now. He stood up and said, if God wants to move this church, he'll pick it up and move it. (laughs) I thought, well, that's interesting. I'm not seeing that. I'd like to see that. But you know that, what that was? That was just this, this man's way of saying, I don't want anything to do with this. I don't agree. I'm, I'm not willing to step out in faith and do this. And as a deacon in this church, I'm opposed to that. And that church did not move, by the way. And that church today is still there, but it's pretty small. Whether that had something to do with it, I don't know. But that's the idea of the Christian life. The Christian life isn't just to sit and say, okay, God, I know you want to do this, so I'm just going to sit here and wait for you to do it. <laughs> that would be the easy way to live the Christian life. In fact, the easiest way to be Christ- become a Christian is to say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you, and I accept you into my heart, and boom, God takes us to heaven. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> he doesn't do that whether that's unfortunate or not. He doesn't do that. Why? Because there has to be something after that point, after that point of surrender to him, there has to be a time where something takes place in my life and in your life to grow and to become more acquainted with him, to to understand him more, to, to love him more until the day that he calls us home. But he doesn't do it. Well, he did it to the thief on the cross. Or he might do it to somebody on their deathbed when they give their life to Christ and they die. But in most cases, that is not the case. We have a job to do. Joshua had a job to do, and he had to go according to what he said, especially I've got to take the first challenge, and that challenge is Jericho. And so that leads us into verse 2 through 7. We read it again. It says, And it was told to the king, of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. They must not have been real sneaky about it. I mean, the king seemed to know that they were here, right? So they they didn't make pony bones about being noticed that they were an odd couple guys roaming around Jericho. But then the king of Jericho went to Rahab saying, because someone had seen them go into her house and said, bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. So this passage now shifts into the the main character of Joshua chapter 2, and that's Rahab. (laughs) And she is, the first point of this message today, is she is God's unlikely choice, right? She is Rahab, the the prostitute. I read various commentaries on this just to see how they handled this idea of Rahab being a harlot, 
and they went all around Robin's barn, some of them, to try to figure out how to make her something other than what she was. Some said, oh, in, in, rabbinical, in rabbinical writings, she was an innkeeper. She worked in a hotel, in other words. Well, she kind of did that. But it, you can't cover up the fact. She might have run that in on the side. I don't know. You know. It doesn't make any difference to me. But you can't go around all around Robin's barn to try to change what God's word says. She was a hooker. Okay? There's a number of words for it. In her culture, that was probably no big deal. That's why I talked about Noah and Abraham and Moses, because they all came out of a culture that was diabolical and sinful. And so did she. That's interesting that God is, is about to choose someone that we would never think he would choose to do something for him. And that... We usually save application, you know, to the end of the message. That's kind of the standard. But we can't do that. We have to dive in right now and say she, who she was, and what is it about believers throughout history that want to categorize sins? In other words, I've done it, and I know you've done it where we have certain people in our minds that would really be beyond, not totally beyond God's grace, not totally beyond forgiveness, but most likely would never come to him because of their lifestyle, right? And so there's a, <coughs> has any, have any of you ever read Dante's Inferno? Does that book, it's not really a book, it's like an essay. Have you read it? Okay. It's part of a bigger collection of theses. This guy, Dante, I can never pronounce his name, Aglieri or something. He was an Italian guy back in the 14th century. So we're going back a long ways to someone describing what hell is like. That's the whole purpose of the paper, is to describe the different levels of hell. And <clears throat> you and I probably do that same thing. It's like, boy, that particular guy, that Hitler guy, that 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 sexual whatever guy, he is in, he's not just in the upper realms of hell. He's way down there, way down deep in hell. And so Dante takes that, that idea, he, he lists certain people, he lists or certain characteristics of people that end up in certain levels of hell. And it's really fascinating because that's the mindset that so many of us find ourselves in when we think about the punishment for sin right? It's always a human thing to want to point fingers at somebody else rather than at myself. It's so easy to talk about other people who are living a lifestyle that is absolutely disgusting or gross or perverted or whatever without, and it's easy to point the finger at them rather than at myself. So what he does, he takes different characteristics. He calls it lust, gluttony, heresy, Violence, fraud, and the very bottom one is treachery. <laughs> and who's in the bottom one, according to Dante? The first name on the list is Satan himself. And so it gives you a picture of how even, we, we shouldn't do that with heaven. Why would we do that with hell? Why would we say that 
certain characteristics, certain categories of believers, or not believers, of people have a different punishment when it comes to the, to the taking care of that sin. Rahab was a prostitute. God does not like that. Would you agree? That's a sin. That's one of the many sins. But this picture here of this gives us, I think, it's a fascinating paper to read, but it is so wrong in its understanding of human and our understanding and God's understanding <clears throat> of what sin is and how it's to be dealt with. So what happens if you categorize, or if I categorize certain people into certain boxes, then those particular, some of those people I'm going to stay away from. I'm going to not even talk to them about the Lord because, my gosh, you know, how do I even dive into where they're at in their life and, and talk to them? And yet, that is never God's plan. Never God's idea. God saves sinners, period. And even if you read that paper, I, I, it's really a stupid one, but the first, the first level is like for people who are almost Christians, who, who lived a life kind of like they were okay. They didn't get involved in some of these other things that he was about to list. But they're in that top level, so it's not quite as hot up there as it is down there. And we think that's foolish. It is foolish. And yet it's, it makes a good story. It make, it, I don't even sure if it make a good movie. I've never seen a movie about it. But in fact, I, I'm not sure. I've never preached on Joshua chapter 2. I don't know if you've ever even heard a message on Joshua chapter 2. I don't know. I, have, I don't think I have. Because it's a very difficult passage to deal with. Because Rahab, in her lifestyle, was chosen by God to do something. And not only was she chosen to do something and was obedient to do it, but she is mentioned later. Not many of uh, my name's not in the New Testament. Is yours? We're not in there. She is. And she's in there more than once. Why? Because of what she did. <laughs> Understand that God's word holds Rahab, the harlot, in great repute as a woman of faith. Figure that out. But he does. Hebrews 11.31 says, By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Story we're talking about. James chapter 2, verse 25. Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers. And here's what one commentator said. The point is that an immoral pagan woman would never have been considered as a candidate for God's rescuing grace in the midst of coming judgment on her city. An immoral pagan woman would never have been considered as a candidate for God's rescuing grace in the midst of coming judgment on her city. Now that's an amazing statement. So not only was Rahab and her family saved, and brought into the covenant community, really, but she was given an honored place in another verse, in Matthew 1, verse 5. She's in the genealogy of Jesus. Now, we could talk about that forever. Have you read that before? She is the mother of who? Boaz. 
And who's Boaz? Husband of Ruth. Remember that story? She is in the line of Jesus. So not only did her faith save her in that sense and saved her family, but she was even allowed and on purpose put into the genealogy of our Lord. And so it's like, we could talk about that forever. What kind of God does that? What kind of merciful, compassionate, and gracious God takes someone like her and put her in a role that I'm sure she never, ever dreamt would happen to her? Now that, I, I love that part of the story. That to me is, is like, I mean, I know God has a sense of humor, but he loves to stir us up. He loves to get us all entangled in legalistic things that oftentimes leads to nothing but nothing. Whereas he reaches down into someone's life, hers, yours, mine, others that have come to him, millions throughout the years, billions, and does an act of grace, a work of grace, because we need forgiveness just as much as she did. Right? Absolutely. Well, secondly then, in 4 through 7, we read, right, that what did she do? That she hid the men. She took the two spies. She had a, her living quarters were in the wall on the out, basically right, the outside of the city. And she took them up onto the roof and hid them. Now, the idea of hiding somebody is, is just that. If I was going to take Dave and hide him from somebody, I'm going to put him somewhere where nobody's going to see him, right? And if somebody comes and asks me, what am I going to say? Oh, yeah, I hid him upstairs. Now, you think, she told a lie. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm getting at in this passage. How do we deal with Rahab's lies? Now, you think throughout history, think... Those of you who have studied World War II, World War II was, a, was an unbelievable war that hopefully never was repeated again. But on the military day of D-Day, do you remember what happened on D-Day? When the, when the Allied forces landed on the beaches, the beaches of Normandy? Hmm? Well, they, they deceived the Germans that day. And they thought, the Germans thought they were going to land in Calais, which is not in Normandy. So there was deception going on the entire time, trying to prepare for this massive invasion that took place, what, 44 or 45? Sorry, don't remember. You weren't around then anyway. But yeah. I wasn't even there then. That's awesome. So it's a couple years later I was. But, but you, you understand that in those military actions, in those plans that were made, there was this idea of deception. And so was, if someone had asked, whoever was planning that invasion, and asked them, where are you going to land? What's going to be their response? I don't know, or I think I'm going to go over to, you know, Kearney instead of Omaha. Okay? So in that deception, there is a military victory that takes place. Now you think of also in World War II, who were the most persecuted people in World War II? The Jews. 
Six million, right? Six million Jews perished. How many of you have ever heard of Corrie Ten Boom? Raise your hand. Okay. I thought it would only be old people like me. She wrote a book called The Hiding Place. If you haven't read it, read it. Because she was in the Netherlands, in Holland, her, and her family hid a number of Jews in a room that they built upstairs that really didn't look like a room. You didn't really know that there was a room there. And that hiding place was for them. And so do you think when somebody came to the door, says, I know you're hiding Jews, or are there Jews anywhere around here? What would their answer be? Oh, yeah, they're up in the room we just built. Hiding. So there's, there's something about understanding these kinds of lies. And I don't, I'm not putting lies in any category other than sin. Lying is wrong. Amen? We know it is. And yet, what was Rahab's choice? Rahab's moral choice was this. Either I tell them that they're there, and they surely die, and I probably die too, because I hid them there. Or I do the noble thing and keep them alive. That, that is a choice that I hope nobody in this room ever has to make. God, Rahab had heard, first of all, that God had done what? She, they'd all heard in Jericho what was going on in the wilderness, right? And what was going on out there? Before the parting of the Red Sea, the miracles of food dropping from heaven, God protecting and marching a people forward to a certain place. They all heard it. And what was their response? There's two responses that you can have from hearing about what God is doing or what a God that you don't know is doing elsewhere. And when they heard it, either they trembled with fear or they believed finally someone who is a real God. And, a and Rahab responded that way. You can, re you can respond with faith in the greatness of God and casting yourself on his mercy, which is what she did, or you can tremble in fear, determining to resist God, to challenge his will, and to continue to fight against his purpose. There's always a choice. Never neutral when it comes to faith in a God that either you believe in or you don't. Rahab did. Because in verses 12 and 13, she says this, or the word says this, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign. What is she saying there? She is expressing faith in a God that she formerly did not know and said, swear by the Lord, by the Lord God of Israel, that as I have dealt with you, so you will deal with me when the time comes. So her unlikely test is in the last part of that, of that scripture. That red cord. I, I don't, you know, some commentaries take it and, and throw the red cord into a story about it's red and therefore it has to do with redemption and the blood of Christ and all the rest of it. Well, that's an interesting you know, analogy to make from it. But this was a simple means of, of Rahab expressing her faith in what those spies told her. 
And what did they tell her? Put this cord in your window. Hang it there. And when we come to conquer the land, we will spare you and anybody else in that room. If any of them venture out, he says, if any of them go out into the road or into the streets or whatever, hey, they're on their own, right? It's not my fault. But if we harm anybody that you have in that room with that cord tied to that window, if we harm anybody like that, that blood will be on our head. That is the promise that they made to Rahab. Fascinating thing. You know, Scripture is full of, in fact, the whole Old Testament, if you wanted to give the Old Testament theme, something that stands out in almost every book, be it Joshua, where there's constant battles, Judges, where there's all these battles, Exodus, the, a horrible season of trying to get to the promised land, all these different things, God always says, if you obey me, if you just do what I say, I will bless you. And so obedience brings blessing. And that, that theme carries right into the New Testament, where you and I kind of, in our minds, you and I park in the New Testament, right? I do oftentimes. But we need to, as Paul says, we need to go back and look at the examples in the Old Testament that give us courage, that give us strength, that teaches us what it means to obey God. God took an unlikely woman and turned her in really to a, an exhibition of a perfect follower of his. You can't ask for anything more than that. Rahab, in her belief, in her, if you, if you look at the words she says here, if you do this, if you do this, if, you, if, you, if, if I protect you, which I have, will you do this for me? She was attempting. Remember when we talked about Noah and Abraham and Moses? They all came out of a culture, right? A culture that, was, that despises truth, that was full of sin, that you couldn't even probably write down in, on a piece of paper in our own language, the things that took place in some of those places, some of those societies, some of those environments. They're horrible. Remember in the New Testament, it says, as in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Lord. Wow. I read that and I go, I hope it doesn't get, because when I think about what was going on in, in Noah's time, I don't know if I want to experience that in my time. We can complain all we want in this country about what we see and what people are involved in and what people are calling good that we, that we would not, what people do that we don't agree with. That's, all, that's just all part of living in a society. We happen to live in a country where at least we have the ability to meet here on Sunday morning and we can say these things and we can teach this word and we're not persecuted for it. But that's nothing. What we experience is absolutely nothing compared to what Noah experienced, what Abraham experienced, what Moses experienced. You have to give that culture up and leave. Rahab was wanting to do the same thing. She was in a culture that was 
I'm sure soon realized that was not coinciding with God of Israel. This was her chance to save her family, to save herself, and for when they came in, she would become part of a whole new thing. Right? And that, man, that is, that to me is absolutely challenging. <clears throat> what kind of, like here in this country, you, there are cultures that you can become involved in, even in our own nation, that can captivate you, that can entrap you, and does not want to let you go. You could get into the drug culture, you could get into the sex culture, you could get into the political culture, you could get into the anti-Christian culture, whatever it is that is going on in your own land, you and I have the ability to kind of settle in into a culture that we desperately later on want to get out of. But we have absolutely no hard things to tell Rahab for what she did. We have no difficult time talking about Noah and Moses and Abraham for what they did to separate themselves out of a culture that was killing them. And when they believed God and it was reckoned to them as righteousness, they suddenly went from one camp to another. And when you become a Christian, you are immediately placed in another camp. Your whole worldview changes. Everything you see about the world around you, things that go on that after you become a believer, you go, wow, I had no idea what was really going on here. My worldview is so changed to see what God wants to do with people that I am a totally different person because I now understand from beginning to end in my simple way what God is trying to do. And then I ask the question, and you ask the question, what do I do? What am I supposed to do in that new worldview that I've found? What am, what's my work supposed to be? And that's where God's Holy Spirit has to take over. For Rahab, it was. You, know, you think about what did she believe in? What, what faith did she actually exercise? She didn't accept Jesus Christ as her personal Savior didn't know who he was. Nobody in the Old Testament knew who he was. They looked forward to someone who would come and be Messiah, but they didn't know him. What did they respond to? They responded to the revelation they had at that particular time. What was, what, what was Rahab's revelation? God's mighty works that people had seen and heard about and spread like wildfire. And to respond to that, to respond to the revelation of the day, that's why Rahab could be called a woman of faith. Now she's, where she's at now, she knows a lot more than she did when she was here on earth. But she responded to what she saw and heard and knew about God. Isn't that the same today? What do we respond to? What somebody has shared with us, what's, what we've read in here, what somebody has testified to us about what's happened in their life, when we read some book, about becoming a believer, all these different ways that we can find revelation to respond to. And now the revelation is simple. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the fact that he, he died, he was buried, he rose again, and he ascended to heaven and left his spirit to do what? To be part of the act of being born again, to be regenerated. So now we can look back to Jesus 
We don't look forward to He's already been here. He's already come. He's already done what he said he was going to do. All the fulfillments of the Old Testament have taken place in him. And so when I put my trust in him, he is the only one now that I can trust. And that revelation saves me. That truth about him saves me and saves you. Just like Rahab. Why did God, and we'll close here, but why did God take a woman like her God loves her. Pretty simple. God allowed her to become not only a believer, but to put her faith into action. And what was the result? My gosh, she's she's mentioned a number of times again in Joshua, but she's also mentioned in the New Testament. By faith, not by lies, not by deception, not by whatever that you can, that you can put on her, her, her career style, you know, her life choices were pretty interesting, but that, does, that isn't what God says in the New Testament. Now he says, by faith, Rahab hid spies. James, who is absolutely obsessed with the fact that faith alone is not, that's Sure, that's the most important thing. But what does faith do? Faith encourages us to do something. Faith leads to some kind of action. And so he actually says, Rahab was justified by works. We say, no, you're not. You're not justified by works. You're justified by faith alone. But what he's saying is the reaction, the action to her faith was that she hid the spies. Right? And we don't know all the rest that she did after that, but I guarantee it. She became a woman of God. And she, in her bloodline, out of that came our Lord on this earth. Amazing story. But just let's think of a few things that we can apply and then we'll quit, okay? I've just asked a number of questions here and you can answer them in your mind the way you want to, but how do we look upon the sins and lifestyles of others? Are those people savable? Okay? There's a theme all throughout the book and in the Old Testament, obedience brings blessing. We've talked about that. Number three, do we continue to trust and obey the Lord even when we cannot see why it should be in certain terms or even how it will turn out? Has God ever impressed upon you to do something without giving you any idea of how you were going to bring it about? He does that a lot. He hid the spies. That was her way to express what God wanted her to do. Next one, man plans his way, God directs his steps. That's the truth always to remember. I love that verse, Proverbs 16, 9. Man plans his way, but God directs his steps. Joshua planned his way, and God directed his steps. Number five, God is no respecter of persons. This one, I put a star on this, put this in our minds today. If he can rescue Rahab, No one is beyond his reach or his concern. Don't categorize our family, our friends, or acquaintances according to how likely we think that they will respond to the good news of Jesus. Don't write anyone off because of their background or record. God delights to save sinners. After all, he saved many of us here in this room. Next one, God is still at work. 
<laughs> to quote one commentator, he said this, God is rescuing Rahab's and their families, pulling down Satan's strongholds, calling whoever will come and take shelter under the provision of the sacrificial death of his son upon the cross. Let me read that again. God is rescuing Rahab's and their families, pulling down Satan's strongholds, calling whoever will to come and take shelter under the provision of the sacrificial death of his son upon the cross. And I added one that I didn't put on the screen today. Is there a culture that you're trying to get out of? Is there a culture you're trying to escape? Whatever is entrapping you or entrapping me on a daily basis as a believer. I'm not talking about as an unbeliever. I'm talking about as a Christian. John 1, 9, 1 John 1, 9 says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's talking to believers. Do we ever sin? I'd have to raise my hand. I need forgiveness. I needed forgiveness in the beginning. But now as part of the family, just like a family of of a husband and a wife and children. We need forgiveness in that family because things happen with our kids that absolutely scare us and, and want to, to desperately live their lives for them, but we can't. But we need to stay close and to stay forgiven in those situations. Not because we're afraid of losing our salvation. It has nothing to do with it. It has to do with keeping our fellowship with God the, the way it should be. So that... I think would be the most probing thing that could come from, from the study of this is, is there something in our own lives that God is trying to change or that God wants to rescue you and me from? It doesn't matter what country you live in, what age you are, what decade we're in as far as world history is concerned. It doesn't matter. There are things that can t- bring us down and can entrap us to do things that we know are not right. But God never commended Rahab for being a prostitute. He never commended Rahab for lying. But at the same way, he didn't condemn her for it either. And that's important to remember. God never condemns unless there is an ultimate rejection of him. Even then, He's waiting for that mind to change one more time. God is sovereign. He's involved in all this stuff. He knew exactly, you know, you think about it, God could have said, Rahab, get it. I'm just going to, don't worry about hiding spies. I'm just going to take care of this before Joshua gets here. You don't have to worry about a thing. He could have done that. He could have smitten, I love that Bible word, smitten, all those people in Jericho along before Joshua ever got there. But did he? No. He hardly ever does. He uses God's people to do it. <laughs> there was a missionary in China. I always forget his last name, but we'll close with this. He was a famous missionary. And one, one guy that he was sharing with, saying, if God is real, then he just strike me dead right here where I stand. And so the missionary guy just reaches out and punches him right in the face. <laughs> he says, never ask God to do what one of his servants can't do better. <laughs> so there's, there's things that God wants you to do, wants me to do. There's challenges, I guarantee it, that are coming for you and me. 
That's the way it is. By faith, Rahab was called a woman of faith. Let's pray. Father, you've given us a lot to think about today, Lord, and just ask that uh, in a special way you would bring to mind even not just now, but in the days to come, as we know that trials come, decisions have to be made, uh, choices have to be made, uh, things have to be done that you have set us out to do. And sometimes, Lord, those are difficult. And so we acknowledge that first off, but we want to, to respond to you in a way that through your Holy Spirit and his prompting, we promise today, Father, to respond the way that Rahab did and to do and accomplish what it is you have for us to do. We thank you, Lord, for this book. I think there's going to be a whole lot of these kind of messages, Lord, throughout your book. And so we want to be challenged. We want to be just better people because of reading and understanding your word. I thank you, Lord, for the challenges that are ours today. Help us to meet them and to worship you and praise you for who you are and to understand that there's no one out of your reach. No one that doesn't need the mercy and compassion and the grace of God. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.